Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our level three courses. Wem and I tried to sit down and do some big swanky radio advert and it's just not us. So I'm just going to chat about it for a minute. So our level three training is the same price as some other courses out there where you just get five days and you are out the door, do your coursework on your own. Our course for the same price is 10 days of training. So for our May cohort, that's five days. And then we have a bit of a month off to just let that settle. We come back for a weekend, maybe do a bit of camping. Then we have a bit more time off and then we come back for another weekend. With the September group, we do five Mondays starting in September. Then we have a bit of a break. Then we come back in the new year and do another five. So we're really like focusing on building community as we go. We didn't really want to do that, like, conveyor belt thing. We could be doing, you know, a level three course every school holiday, banging them out, off you go. But we don't want to do that. We do Zoom calls throughout the year. We do loads of, like, cohort, you know, community building sessions and stuff to help people with what they're doing. And that means that we want to do it well rather than doing lots of it. So we're trying to help people do that. And we're also really big on this community aspect. And we found that people not only find the course easier to do in terms of workload but also easier to do emotionally when they do it with somebody they already know so to try and encourage that we're doing a train together kind of offer so if you and someone else you know sign up to do the course with us together we'll give you some money off your course because we found that it the uh, success rate is much higher people are much happier while they're doing the course and it makes our life easier as tutors because you know happy students, motivated students, we're all kind of getting on together. So if you want to be part of a community rather than just being put through a conveyor belt, then have a look at our website. It goes to myforestschooltraining.co.uk. That'll take you to the Children of Forest website and uh, you can go from there, get your application in and uh, join our communities. So on with the podcast. I'm Wem. And I'm Lewis. This is the Forest School Podcast. Let's go! Comfy podcast. (laughs) Do another one. This is it. I know. I've got a blanket. (sighs) Just back. You should have brought your uh, big oudi. Your big luminous pink oudi. Yeah. Gave me a funny look about. Yeah. Yeah. Should have brought that ultimate comfort. Yeah, but it is a bit like. I like it, but it's very binary in that you've got to get quite cold and then it's very comforting. Yeah. Then you wear it for five minutes and then you go. Too hot. This is actually a bit too hot Um Yeah. But um I've got a book. You got a book? I've I'm, got a book. I'm trying to remember because I saw it and I sent it to you. Yes. Um Where did I'm, you find it? I'm just thinking of that. I think while you're looking it up, obviously okay. the book is called Trust Kids with an exclamation mark. Stories on youth autonomy and confronting adult supremacy. Yeah. Edited by Carla Joy Bergman, forward by Matt Hearn. Um Yeah. Do you know where you I can't remember. If okay. I remember, I will um put it at the end. Yeah. Well it's an interesting one. It's um so it is a collection of I wonder if I can see what the chapters are. Um, oh, some of these great books with a million forwards and introductions and whatever else. <laughs> About 15, oh no, same page. About 25 um, sort of mini essays about exactly that thing youth autonomy, confronting adult supremacy. Some of them are written from the point of view of like not written from. Some of them are written by young people, 
some of them are written by adults. They specifically talk about at the start of this book, they want to include 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 <laughs> voices that um, aren't traditionally in the conversation. So they these are young people who have been through unschooling or have been through whatever, people without children, mm-hmm. which I thought was a really interesting thing that's like um, to kind of acknowledge that like in this in this world of youth autonomy, there's this idea of like, well if you haven't got kids you so are these but, people who are still working with young people? Yes, in a... but they don't have their own children, yeah. so they haven't gone yeah, through yeah. the whole um, thing. And like, it's just very, very interesting. And, and like any sort of collection of essays, I would say right at the top, some of these resonate deep inside of me. Mm. Some of these were like, yeah, okay, I get that. I'm just reading through. This is not, you know, necessarily my jam. Do um, some of them... Are, would you say the overall kind of tone of the book is like um, uh, chiming with what you already believe and you're like, yep, yeah, I agree and I'm enjoying reading this because I agree with it? Or were there things in there that challenged you and made you go, ooh, I actually hadn't thought about it that way. Maybe I'm going to investigate that further or... Yeah, I suppose... Because this is already the wavelength that I'm on. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, already, That's why I, asked. I already do think a lot about... I think uh, economy is important. I think all these things... So I think there's definitely an element of like, this book is cherry, not cherry picked, but like, there's no one in this book who's like, I hated being unschooled Mm. and I was severely bored and I actually think I was done a disservice, which Mm. is obviously a grain of salt. You've got to take all of this Mm. with who's writing these things. Mm. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say anything challenged me, but if it did, it's challenge in the sense of people taking things further than I would. Okay. So it's not a challenge in terms of like the other end of the mm. spectrum. It's like people going like mm. that deep unschooling for some of them. Yeah. Like we literally had no screen time limits and we were allowed to get on the bus from five whenever mm. we wanted and we were allowed to do it. You know, like yeah. that is challenging but not confrontational. Yeah. So that makes yeah. it um, differentiate those two. Yeah. Um but I've got like loads of sticky notes mm. and I but there's not like a narrative to pull out. Yeah. So I'm just going to go through the sticky notes, find these things mm-hmm. and go, yeah. Does this resonate in any way with you? Um, uh, and, hmm. and Luna is purring in the background. Luna is purring in the background. Uh, so the first one I've got is once you start to pay attention to the way children are talked about or, and treated or relearn to see the injustices most of us were acutely aware of as children, mm. The constant disparagement, othering, and violence is impossible to ignore. Mm. Uh, yeah, and so the next step must be to ask how we can fight that oppression, to reimagine the ways adults and children can relate to each other and live together with more respectful and trustful ways. Oh man, yeah, it's that is one of those things. It's like if you if you're just not feeling guilty enough in your life, and you just want to sprinkle a little bit more guilt on there, to be aware of childism in that way. Um, and once you're aware of it you see it everywhere everywhere, and then you realise that you have got so much of that in you because that's the society you were raised in and then you hear yourself say things or you realise that you're thinking things you're like oh my god this is just a system of like yeah oppression basically in so many ways Mm. and then you try and go well what's the alternative and you scrabble around and obviously a lot of the people in this book have are living the alternative an alternative alternative and exploring that 
Um, and I know many people listening to this podcast will probably feel that same kind of like, oh, I really wish I could. The first bit's very easy. Do more alternative it... stuff, and I just can't because it is blooming yeah. hard to like forge a new path in the world that we live in. In well, terms of like lots of people who want a yeah. home ed, and they just, I just can't. Like I mm. need to earn a wage. I can't. It's not a job where I can take my child. I haven't got any support. All these kind of things. Um, so yeah god and also it's not just massive the first bit is like I don't like doing this or I don't agree with what I'm doing or what I'm saying or whatever but then it's not just like a fork in the road it's like a multi-section highway where you Mm. step off this mainstream Mm. education mainstream parenting road which is very laid out for you and very manicured and it's not then you go oh and here's the alternative path it's equally clear it's Mm. like you step off and you go what are you doing? Unschooling? Montessori? Are you doing world schooling? You're doing this thing? You're doing lots of this? You're doing none of this? You're doing curriculum? You and do- are you having uh, like boundaries or like oh, that whole thing of um, uh, permissive parenting? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, I am, I'm having boundaries but not punishment. Or do you know all those yeah. kind of choices on a moment to moment basis? And I think early on in um, our working relationship, we mm-hmm. had like quite a lot of discussions about like, but like but really do we have to really think that whole thing about intention do we really have to think about every single interaction we have with children that none of it is instinctive anymore because a lot of those instinctive responses to children are not actually instinctive they're like there's the they're pre-programmed from so early on exactly it's like well that's what I heard that's what I see that's what I received yeah that's what I received that's what I see all around me and then to peel away that layer and get deeper into the like what is actually your real gut instinct and to trust that is a journey that I think is never ending can I read this next bit to you because it's kind of relevant to the next bit Um, uh, I think this will speak to you and I and I slightly Mm -hmm. Antagonistic, mm. not towards each other, but we are slightly <laughs> antagonistic. I would also suggest that much as what is cast as bad in in quotes behavior is not inherently bad. It's simply inconvenient or dangerous to power. Mm. And like mm. that's a, a layer that I have like definitely unpeeled. It's yeah. just going like, oh, that is annoying if you're the class teacher and you yeah. can't have your authority questioned. You're doing whatever yeah. else, like. But you, if I peel my own power off, mm-hmm. oh, then this isn't yeah. bad behaviour. And at that all. thing this about inconvenience, like... which we were saying, you know, in a kind of institutional setting with very little flexibility, because you are working in one building with however many yeah, hundred yeah. people, you're like, oh, I'd love to be able to give you that democracy or that freedom or that, you know, thing that you're asking for, children. But it's just too yeah. inconvenient on a scale yeah. of like doable and not doable. I just have to conform to this system and then you get yeah and then you and I got to that point where you're like I've been conforming I can't do it anymore walk away <laughs> it's too run, run to the woods and hide comfortable. Um, yeah I do I don't know if this is kind of in the book anywhere but sometimes I feel like with my own kids there are things that they describe or explain about their experience of the world and I listen and I go you are just waiting to grow up and that makes me feel so sad. But there's just like, you know, interactions or things that they can do or can't do. And I'm just, and I just go, and in the same way, I reflect back on my child. I'm going to, I go, oh my God, I remember feeling that way. And I'm so much happier as a grown up, even with all the responsibilities mm-hmm. and stress and all the rest of it that being a grown up has. The ability to make my own decisions, to not have to do certain things. Yeah 
is so freeing. I'm like, I can see that in you that once you're maybe, I don't know, mid twenties, all of that will be fine. Mm-hmm. But you're waiting to get there and that's just such a sad mm-hmm. feeling. And there's not really much you can do about it a lot of the well, time. Yeah. I mean, this book will give you some examples. Yeah, yeah, go on then. This, is, this next one is one um, that I already said to you and mm. in the woods and you were like, oh. Um, uh, I imagine this is because most adults... Dog! It's the pet show. Uh, I imagine this is because most adults are accustomed to relating to young people entirely through a lens of control and management. Yeah. And when they envision taking that away, they think there would be nothing left at all. Mm. So we talked about that in terms of, like, that is quite often the response to someone else you you know from my experience it's like whenever I talk about the fact that our kids my kids are basically unschooled that my kids make a lot of decisions that they are you know in charge of things that they do that yeah people don't then imagine there being anything else left you know they're, they're, they're kind of like well if you're not doing it's never said overtly but yeah. the the underpinning is like well, if you're not controlling and manipulating them, yeah. what even is a parent-child relationship? I know. What are you even doing for them? You know, as opposed to going, well, we're building relationships, we're experiencing things together, we're learning together, providing we're opportunities. Together. Yeah. We're, you know, people are just fixed on that. Like, what is the adult-child relationship? It's mm. power and control. Mm. So when you go, well, I don't do power and control, and they're like, well, so you do nothing. Yeah, exactly. You just let them do whatever, do you? Yeah, and the there is um, not just judgment from other people about that but judgment on on yourself yeah Camp, not you yeah, yeah, oneself yeah. you know that we go well I must be being lazy if I'm mm-hmm. not kind of interfering with what they're doing and I definitely have that thought process quite a lot of the time to to have a an impulse to say something yeah to a child usually my own children and then to check it and go hang on a minute wh- why why am I inspired to say that it is just to control what they're doing yeah there's no there's literally no positive reason for doing it i'm not going to say it you know yeah in the same way that like i think a, a good litmus test for a lot of things is like would you say this would you behave in this way with your partner because mm. a, a partner partner relationship like a marital relationship partner, partner it is yeah. not based on like manipulation and control and depends. Whatever. And depends. Depends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe a different uh, way of, uh, you know, in um, oh, quality worlds, choice theory. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't read the whole choice theory book, but at the beginning, um, I can't remember who the author is now. It's on my shelf. I can see Glasser. it from here. Oh yeah, Glasser, Malcolm Glasser. He says um, that you want to be having a relationship. Um, with most people like the relationship with your best friend that you wouldn't try and control your best friend or like demand things from them or have expectations that were like super high whereas we sometimes do get into that pattern with our with children and family and partners and Mm -hmm. parents because there's something about I don't know being really super close and I guess that thing about they can't run away you know so it's like well I will actually say some stuff which is quite and ends up being manipulative sometimes yeah. without even thinking about it because that people are so close to you whereas your best friend can choose to be not your friend anymore mm. and so therefore your relationship with them is actually way more healthy and respectful a lot of the time and you know that they don't expect things of you that are beyond and if they do you can probably have a conversation about it or yeah. stop being friends if it is not working out um not yeah 
choosing your quality world and all those kind of things whereas you can't really you know that family relationship or or I guess yeah in a teacher child yeah, relationship don't often have the opportunity to like walk away and choose uh, yeah yeah that you're just there and therefore you might get into some kind of patterns of talking to each other in a way that isn't entirely healthy mm. anyway yeah anyway go on hit me up with another one um so this next one is talking about um it's a chapter called already in my bones um and it's a person talking about their um grandmother mm-hmm. um and uh so i'm going to read quite yeah. a long one in this one they call their grandmother their vovo mm-hmm. okay uh, I remember a conversation with my vovo when I was in university. I was just learning about indigenous knowledge and wisdoms from around the globe and the power of ancestral teachings. Mm. I was surprised to learn how little she believed in herself and her own knowledge and wisdom. She never went beyond the age of 10 in school, so reading and writing were never strengths of hers. But she could speak two languages fluently, could cook, could tell stories and teach love. Our current dominant culture, which prioritises only one type of success, uh, one type of knowing and being made my vovo believe she did not have a lot to offer. Mm. Some of this is heavy. Mm, <laughs> Some that's of this so is like, true, though, isn't poof, it? And I'm intentionally picking the like mic drops. And so, this links yeah. to the the our previous podcast about physical being physically yeah. educated and that whole kind of uh, presidents. Oh, not that's the wrong word. Um, focus on intellectual and you yeah. know academia yeah and that kind of, yeah and that's I okay and realized that like one of the things that i feel and i haven't necessarily been able to articulate is that thing of like the one way of knowing mm. which is um i think it's like in terms of layers of understanding i think a lot of people are in that place where they're like uh, they would not. They would ne- not necessarily say that they believe reading and writing to be and maths to be like the dominant thing, right? People are and, and lots of teachers I know would say it's a shame that we have to focus so much mm-hmm. on those in school. But then there, where I was for a really long time as well, which is that then you only go one level down and go. They could be good at geography lessons or history lessons, mm-hmm. or they could be good at art lessons, and like. I have actually haven't peeled that back all the way to like all the successful ways of being a human mm-hmm. and being in a, in a family and being all of those things. All I've done is peel one layer back yeah. and been like, that's what holistic is. Mm-hmm. Now it's all the subjects, but that is only one way of knowing. And so I think I'm still in that process of like, because like I say, so much of it comes from like what you've experienced, what your culture gives to you, what you presented with on a day-to-day basis that like it is really hard to it's one thing to go no I do think that like cooking and looking after people is a valuable skill that's your skill that's incredible Mm. and I do think that and I'm not sure how wholeheartedly I believe it I know I think there is and I think there's something to do with the class system there in terms of our view of people who are in those kind of roles that it's not actually genuine respect it's almost sympathy it's almost like, oh, you're oh, doing do a really do. yes, and it's that like yeah. brushing up, yeah, or like, oh, you're doing such a good job, you lower class citizen. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I and I mean. even if you really, really don't want to believe it, it's just in there because it's that's our society's bias. Yeah. In 
Britain where we live anyway. You know. Yeah. What would it mean to have genuine, absolute respect? And I think in Britain that it's all tied in with capitalism as well, isn't it? Because it's just seeing value in the things which get the best, the better pay. So I think there's just a huge argument yeah. for the only, re- you know, once we've come this far down the line of capitalism, either you throw the whole lot in the bin, which is quite un- unlikely, mm. or you start financially rewarding the people who are doing the jobs which are more, you know, teaching love, cooking, speaking yeah. languages, communicating, care, you know, all of those things. You need to start flipping paying the people who are doing those things and yeah. pay them really flipping well. So you need to pay, you know, the parents who are doing childcare. You need to pay them for doing that, for looking after their own children. Mm-hmm. Because if that's the world we live in where that's the only way that things are seen as valuable is literally with pound yeah, coins. With value. With things that denote value. Yeah. Coins denote value. Pay the flipping people. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Ah. <laughs> uh, so this bit is about, um, this next one is like unschooling myths. Mm-hmm. And actually, they reference um, one of our um, blog that we've talked about years ago now. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm unschooled. Yes, I can read. Oh, yeah. Um, it's talking about that blog in there. Undoing some of the myths of unschooling. Only qualified teachers can help. Uh, children can't be socialised without school. Unschoolers can't go to college. And then this is, my, this is one I've thinged is, unschoolers have no friends. Mm-hmm. And the one sentence I've highlighted here is... Um, uh, by friends it seems my parents mean children their children have to see every day because they're in the same class mm. would that mean then that all of my co-workers at my corporate gigs are now officially my friends mm. obviously not because proximity is not the same thing as connection mm. and I was mm. like yes there's yeah. the thing isn't there there's a nugget that I've been uh, there's something about it like being connection and actually like even in our you know, some of our home ed groups have been like four or five kids, you know, and I would not say they are all friends. No. And it's not something about like, oh, well, in a class of 30, not everyone's going to be your friend. Mm. In, in any group, not mm. everyone's going to be your friend. Yeah. And like... And that doesn't mean that they're the other end of the yeah, spectrum yeah, yeah. and there are people you don't like. <laughs> yeah. There are people that, you know, help you with things and you do projects together and you exist together and you have a chat, but you wouldn't necessarily call them your friend, even if you really get on. Um, yeah. that um, reminds me of when I spoke to so when after lockdown started home edding my children I had a really long zoom call with my friend in New Zealand who unschools her children mm-hmm. and she was describing her oldest child's journey through unschooling about this whole socialisation thing and she was saying the great thing in her opinion for her child was that her child has friends of many ages mm-hmm. and that includes adults yeah. and that her child will go around to a family friend's house and play board games and things like that and read books with this other adult mm-hmm. and I listened to this and I was like absolutely like we don't ever talk about that and we don't ever sort of see that as a possibility in our you know for a lot of us it's like adults are there to be teachers you have your you know, even mm. if it's like an extracurricular thing, it's like you've got your football coach or you've got your piano teacher or whatever. We don't usually see those relationships as genuine friendship. Or it might be like, oh yeah, well the family friend like babysits that yeah. child yeah. on a Thursday afternoon or whatever. But we don't ever really call it a friendship. And then I was relaying this conversation to a different friend, not from a kind of education actually they were from an education background, but not very alternative. 
and I was describing this conversation going, I feel really hopeful because I hadn't really considered these other possibilities and that for my one of my kids especially, having like adult friends that have similar interests and hanging out with them could be a really great socialising mm-hmm. thing and could be something we could build into our life. And um, so that's what I was kind of wanting to relay. But my these other friends of mine, their reaction was like, well, that sounds dodgy. That was the mm-hmm. response. It was like, oh, really? I don't think that sounds that very healthy. That did flash in my head, really? I'll be honest. Yeah. But that's not. But it, mm. it, it flashed. It didn't yeah, go yeah. like. It's in a, you know, it's well, I guess that's because again, yes, that's that thing, it's it? that thing of just being aware of safeguarding and being aware of you know all of those kind of well, like. Well, also it comes from a, 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 you know, going back to what we were saying that like, if you think that adult-child relationships are about power and mm. and control, then it follows that if you go. Well, you're not a teacher. So why do you want power and control? Yeah. Well, you're not a family member. Yeah. So what? Yeah. But but if you go, well, they're not. They're not doing power. Sorry, that's my dog shaking his ears. Um. Yeah, it's the it, it's the assumption that like that adult is doing power and control mm. in that relationship. And what are they getting out of it? So that. But that's what I mean. Dodgy. Why do they yeah. want that power? As opposed yeah. to like when your kid goes around to their friend's house to play, mm. you're not going like, ah, oh, the kid probably wants to power do power mm. and control with my kid mm. why what are their angle what are they getting from my kid mm. I don't know but I think it shows how far we've come from that kind of like village um, mentality of you know that it's not just the mm-hmm. parents the immediate family and the teachers who have a, yeah. a role in raising a child yeah, yeah. it can be many other people but we've come a long way away from that now yeah um, this next bit, there's a bit that's referred to quite a lot in this place called Windsor House, mm-hmm. which is uh, a bit like Sir, is it Summer Hill? What's the one yes. in the UK? Yeah. Summer Hill. Um, but in Canada. Okay. Um, and they're talking about how. Um, okay, so I'll read a paragraph. Students came to learning formal academics after many years of learning through play. They asked teachers and their parents for tutoring and lessons. It was remarkable how, decade after decade, students would come, would ask for classes to, in quotes, catch them up Mm. with their peers in conventional school, right about the same age, somewhere between the age of 10 and 13. It would take about a year, three mornings a week, to teach maths and writing skills and a general overview of social studies and science concepts that brought these students up to grade level. Uh, alumni students reference a moment in their early teens where a switch goes off in their head and suddenly they realise that they want some skills to be independent Mm -hmm. and to be able to engage with mainstream mainstream schooling should they choose. This led many students to choose to attend more mainstream schooling in their middle school years and a few chose to stay at Windsor House. Either way, the students came to their own understanding of what it means to be educated. Mm. I've read that idea before and I think it's very hopeful and it's and again it's one of those things where you can just get it from first hand experience or you know from working with your children or being one of these kids that was like yep I didn't learn to read till I was a certain age but then I did it like that because I really wanted to do it and I was in control of it Um, I'm ready yeah there's loads of stuff like that isn't there I feel like that's the theme is like you can I always feel like reading is a really good example of like you could absolutely drum the joy out of it. Mm. Loads of people know we shouldn't be doing phonics from four, like yeah. we do in the UK. Sometimes yeah. even younger, because the 
best preschools are the ones that do phonics from you know you could just drum the joy out of it because you start at three and then you get 10 year olds who have a certain level of reading mm. you can just wait and then go oh yeah, yeah it only takes a month now mm. or it only takes a couple I of know. you know a couple of months now and you've still preserved that joy and achieved the same thing it's like that um it's that drive for like early progress and you know like what are you doing and it needs to be visible progress you know Mm. You, you you don't see the visible visible progress towards phonics in seven year olds that are learning through play, mm. but it is happening. Of course, it's just not visible progress, and yeah, I find that very yeah challenging. Um, oh, this one is in changing the context. Uh, Again, some of these resonate. Young people are not immune from the impacts of hierarchy. In fact, hierarchy is a primary force that shakes them. As an op oppressed group with negligible economic and political power, they are seen by government and industry as raw materials to be moulded into reliable workers and consumers, while their family often encourages them to climb to the top. Because the aforementioned groups are constantly measuring the youth, grades, athletics, performance, leadership missions, an attempt to rank and sort them, mm. young people quickly learn how they measure up against their same age peers. Yeah. They do, and they it's do. so sad. Yeah. Uh, oh, and then this is the bit that I was talking to you about before, where they had someone come to this Windsor house who, when they were told they were in charge of their time, mm -hmm. um, went took a laptop, went into a cupboard, and stayed in the cupboard until it was time to go home. Mm -hmm. Um, did this every day the teacher started to question like God, what if the parents ask what he's doing what are we mm -hmm. even providing after a month this person came out of the cupboard mm -hmm. and then joined in with everything mm. you know with through no coaxing through no they just mm. were ready they just mm. needed they, they said they'd never been in charge of their own and that's so education. relevant to forest school isn't it especially those of oh, us yeah. who run sessions all day um, and it just reminds me of that holiday club we ran quite early on where some children just um, decided to hang out in the scramble net chatting for a very long time. Do you remember that? Yeah. And, and we had that same wobble about like, well, you know, parents are paying us for this and really, you know, is that okay? And should we be doing more? And, and of course, you know, we did offer lots of other things and mm. we're in, and we're chatting with them and communicating with them. But that, you know, the title of the book, you know, yeah. trust trust kids and it's yeah and maybe it's what they need right now or maybe they are experimenting with do you really mean this do you really mean that i'm allowed to choose whatever i want to do as long as i'm not hurting myself yeah. other people or <laughs> property um so i'm just going to carry on doing it for some for a slightly longer time than might be socially normal just to test yeah to see whether i can trust you when you say that um and then, yeah, the behaviour afterwards is going to be very different to the behaviour that it's, if you'd force them to do it. That's the only way you can actually peel the hierarchy off. Mm. Is, is As much as you can say, like, look, we're all, we all get to decide, we're going, until you've stress tested it. Yeah. It's all words, it's all piss in the wind, isn't it? Mm. Like, really? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it is it is that really difficult thing of like faith and trust mm. and that 
you know, there's just trust on all angles of this, isn't there? Like, the kids have got to trust you. That's what they're testing. Can mm. I trust you? Mm. You've got to trust them to know what they need most, which is, like, if they've never had that before, that can be a massive leap. Um, you've got parents trusting us, mm. um, which is, you know, yeah. one of the biggest... Or, or head teachers trusting you, or that's, you know, another pressure that you've got squeezing you as a forest school leader from both mm. sides it's you know um tricky um i feel like i need to slightly do a little bit of a trigger warning this next one is abolish high school mm-hmm. um so we're skipping through them and they're talking about um uh homophobia mm. queer sensitive stuff mm. so that's the subject we're on now um so skip ahead a few minutes if that's not your mm-hmm. gem. Uh, in 2010, Dan Savage began the It Gets Better project, which has gathered and posted video testimonials from gay and lesbian adults and queer positive supporters to address the rash of suicides by young queer people. The testimonials reassure teenagers that there is life after high school, that before long they'll be able to be who they are without persecution, able to find love, able to live with dignity, and able to get through each day without facing intense harassment. It's a worthy project, but it implicitly accepts that non-straight kids must spend their formative years passing through a homophobic gauntlet before arriving at a less hostile adult Mm. world. Why should they have to wait? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Apologies. (laughs) And I'm I'm cherry picking bits, but like, Mm. there's like 10 pages of writing about this Mm. and it's like, um, you know uh, similarly they're talking about age rela- age banding mm-hmm. children uh, this sort of levelling has a very destructive effect by artificially creating social units in which everyone is the same age uh, the ability of children to help and learn from each other is greatly reduced such units automatically create the conditions for competition pressuring children to be as good as their peers in a group of 10 children of quite different ages there will naturally be much more cooperation than in a group of 10, 12-year-olds. Mm. Now, I hadn't necessarily considered that one of the things about being in a single-age band is that you are forced to compete because the, because the comparison is so direct. Mm. Like, in, you know, we talk all the time about, like, our mixed-age groups learning from each other, teaching, but, but I've never considered that the reason, one of the reasons they're able to do that is because they've had all this thing stripped off of like, well, you're not in competition with me. Mm. You're not, I'm not in competition with you. We're not all in the same class, vying for the same teacher's attention, vying for that limited resource, vying for that, you know. Unless you are awarding certificates or gold stars at the end of a term for the person who has made the most progress in firelighting or the per Because that happens. It does happen. I'm just going to, you know... You do mic drops now. I'm supposed to be doing the mic drops. You're not supposed to like. You know, steal my it thunder. just depends. It's not just about that mixed age thing. It's about the atmosphere of the setting, surely, and the expectations of the adults. You can still have a mixed age setting and introduce that element of competition. Yeah. Um. Definitely. Okay, so, uh, oh, this one has got 
Now they don't necessarily go into... Oh, this person has got a Maori background. Mm -hmm. so there's lots of words in here that are Maori. Mm. They're talking about Maori things. This is a written book. I'm going to butcher some words. I'm so sorry. Um, but they're talking about... Well, well, how would you pronounce an O with a straight line over it? I have no idea, I'm okay. afraid. Um, so the word is K-O-R-E-R-O. Correro? Correro? So Correro, he's talking about this being a conversation, a way of talking, like, they're these, like, meaningful chats. And saying, Correro isn't a lecture with a speaker and a listener, one active, one passive. I think society sees the parent-child relationship as a one-way flow with the information and teaching go from the adult to child. Carrero is a relationship of sharing. It goes both ways. There's a really important wakataki that attests to this, which is like these little Maori um, uh, uh, metaphors mm -hmm. that help with the teaching. And the mm -hmm. teaching is, what is the food of the chief? It is Carrero. Mm. Like the conversations. I like that idea of like, it makes me think about conversations I have with my kids in the car when there's like um, you know you're both looking out, out the window yeah, you're not yeah. looking at each other you can actually have this yep. you know two way conversation um, uh, oh so this is an interview with Helen Hughes who is the person that set up this Windsor school so okay. there's lots of stuff from her students mm -hmm. this is an interview with her um, actually I really wanted to highlight um I'll read this and then I will say what I think. In 1971, Helen co-created Windsor House, an alternative K-12 school in North Vancouver. For nearly 50 years, she was the matriarch of this democratically run school community which shut its doors in 2019. The number of people who benefited, benefited from Helen is impossible to determine. It includes not just students, staff and family directly involved in Windsor House, but also all who these folks encountered. The ripple effect is immense and truly awe-inspiring. Mm -hmm. That's, if I could crystallise that somehow, mm. and you know when you're having those like burnout days, when mm. you're having those like, this is not the, like to remember how far the ripple goes, mm. because we're, just like we were talking about that pressure thing of like, trust from the kids, trust from the teachers, but like, understanding that what we're doing has a ripple from when these learners are going to be in their 80s yeah. we are and not in a like selfish like yes I have no, created yeah, a, yeah, yeah. an empire yeah. like in a just the the kind moments the meaningful time mm. the relationship but like that might seem insignificant but you just holding on to like yeah. it is a ripple and actually we were asking you um, we've got these cards that we pull out for um, sort of deep and meaningful questions around the circle yeah. um, and you pulled out one the other day and it was uh, was it I can't remember the exact phrasing of it now it was about going forwards in time you know the thing about the future yes. or talk to someone in the future you could see a crystal ball and you could see into the future what would you want to know mm. was the question and I wanted to know not just how my kids are doing when they're adults but I want to know what they're up to as like elderly people mm. because I and I guess that is kind of that ripple thing of like I I think they this is a really weird sentence but like my hope is that my kids are like really cool grandparents mm -hmm. 
And that sounds really odd, isn't it? Because they're mm. five and three. But to already imagine, like, the moments that I'm having with them, if they then pass that stuff on to their kids, they then pass it on to their kids. Like, mm. where will it be in 80 years' time? Like, mm. I don't know. That was kind of like a, a nice light. I felt like I needed to... Because a lot of this is quite heavy. Mm. <laughs> like, there's some, yeah. there's some powerful stuff in this. And, like, yeah, again that trust and autonomy might seem really small at the time. You know, like I was allowed to go in the cupboard. I was allowed to not join in in, in the morning circle. I was allowed to decide what tools I needed. But like the ripple of that stuff mm. is hopefully like massive. Um, uh, here's a bit where Helen is talking about um, patterns and patterns of behaviour. Uh, so the question is, oh, excuse me. Uh, uh, do you have any ideas on what the next project might be? Well, what are my strengths? I don't cook or cook with a dam, nor clean, nor garden, nor exercise. I want to enjoy. I observe people and listen in order to understand. As a result of this, I notice patterns. One of these patterns is that when people are in conflict and when they start to reason with each other, they often use reasons as weapons. They just keep coming up with reasons and counter-reasons, and eventually the strongest, richest, loudest person wins, leaving the other person resentful. I rarely see someone say, Oh, I see your point. Of course you're right. Let's do it your way. Mm. So, for me, using reasons as weapons is like a lens that's just gone into loads of my like memories of conflict management and going oh fuck I do that all the time that's interesting you say that because um, I read a similar thing recently saying that if you're an adult with uh, with some kids yeah. <laughs> don't have to be your kids and there's a thing that has to happen like we are going to go and do this thing now and it might be something that they're less keen on doing like we have to go to the shop now yeah I can't leave you in the house by yourself. We're going to go to the shop. And you might be watching a great program that you're really enjoying. And that we are often tempted to go to exactly that. Use the reasons to... And what we think we're doing is helping the person to understand why these things need to happen. And therefore, they're going to be more agreeable to doing it. And yeah. it'll be a learning experience or whatever. And this person's point writing this was actually the more reasons you shuck at it the more controlled that person feels and the more manipulated they feel and the less control they feel that they have this is i'm not sure i agree with this i don't know yet it's just it was a new thing that hit me okay. in the same way as yeah, you yeah. and that actually the advice of this person was saying stop with the reasons stop with the lecturing stop with the you know and this other reason and this other reason because i am an adult and i know best and let me like hit you over the head with these reasons that you go um it's time to go. I, I can see that you're angry about that. I can see that you don't want to go. It's completely fine to feel angry. We are going. And that's it. No reasons. Mm. Which you could read as being actually really controlling and really like authoritative and dictatorial. And But their argument was to focus on the emotions, validate the emotions, go, I understand. And if you want to talk to, talk to me about it, then you can. But I know that in time you will be able to make yourself feel better. You've got the tools or you will be able to have the tools mm. to make yourself feel better about the situation. But we're going now. And I was like, ooh, that's really... 
It's challenging. Challenging. So that's different to how I hear this or how this landed mm. with me because from my experience, um, so a lot of a lot of what I had growing up was like in in our household it was like if you raise your voice you've lost mm-hmm. and in that way that's like very western very like if you bring emotion into it you've lost yeah and that then has carried on into like that's how I think a lot of business culture operates like mm-hmm. if you are passionate if you are emotional and, it, and that's also very like male dominated way of being like write off anything emotional oh oh they're emotional oh they're, they're, yeah. you're not you know your argument isn't worthwhile because you're mm. doing this thing and like um that idea that like not using logic to so i i saw it as like reason as synonymous with logic mm-hmm. you know logical arguments mm-hmm. reasoning out a problem and that my go-to for years and years and years and years and years from like when I was first like a teenager and started arguing properly with my parents was like who's got the best logical argument yeah. in this like Roman Republic yeah. you know the argument is this if it is this does it not follow that this should be the case and then here is the argument that is you know Vulcan like yeah. you know like X must be Y then Y must be Z there you go end off right and using that logic to like attack decisions that the other person had made or like tell that and like is that like internet arguing kind Mm. of mindset of like well you've said this which follows that you must mean this and like picking holes picking holes or like argue you know finding a bigger thing and like that's not how you get out of conflict it's never ever getting you know that is that Mm. thing of like nobody's ever changed their mind from an internet forum because you're not using reason, logic, understanding, to understand. You're using it to attack. Mm. And that is like, particularly I can think, you know, I can think back through all of like the siblings we've ever had come to woods. And that is like sibling bickering. Yeah. It's like, no, because like, and they're not saying this in, in explicitly these words, but they're like, the rule is whoever touches it first has rights and mm. so logically does it not follow mm. that because I touched it you are in the wrong because you've done the thing rather you know I suppose an alternative way would be like looking at it going okay can you see can you imagine why that person's upset that they thought that they were no because I called dibs and I was you know and it's just yeah, yeah. logic just, as an attack yeah. as a and like, just bang, ignoring bang, bang. yeah ignoring people's emotions and needs isn't it and yeah. acknowledging their their personal past experiences as well so it's that thing about um really listening so we did a whole podcast about that do you remember about like the steps of real Mm -hmm. reflective listening and you know going oh okay i knowing you and knowing your past experiences i can see why that might trigger you or that might make you feel a certain way and let's try and reach a compromise based on holding our own and others needs with care can i give you an example sure in this book helen is talking about this kind of conflict and needs to be right and everything else okay back in the day I was fostering young people we had ample opportunity to try out some of these ideas my favourite story is about one young person who always left the teapot dirty when I went to use it I had to wash it first 
We tried this system, then that system, but all of them failed. Finally, in a burst of br brilliance, my boarder said, why don't we bu just both not wash the, t the teapot? Mm -hmm. I was dumbfounded. My stance was so righteous uh, and hers was so clearly wrong that it took a few moments while I processed the idea to realise that it could work really well. Sure enough, when I washed the pot before I used it, the pot was warm and clean. When I tell this story to a group of adults, they're often shocked. Some will absolutely not agree that it was a good solution. So the idea here is neither of them are washing mm. it. That is just the system. They both mm. wash it, then use it, then wash it. You know, Nobody's doing double washes, mm. right? Um, somehow it offends a deep moral obligation to always clean up after yourself. This idea of right or fair gets in the way a lot. Uh, <laughs> I, I both struggle with that and completely I'm like, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> At the same time, because... I never clean my teapot ever and why you know because a lot of those like socially accepted norms yeah. in my world are already out the window <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like well yeah of course you're the As, person in this who doesn't wash the teapot yeah I am so you're I looking am. at it from that point and always view. have been yeah and so then when the person comes at me with the like it's the correct thing to do I'm like I'm sure it is but there isn't the capacity in my brain to have that Ability. I am mm. unable to clean the teapot for you, however much I care about you. But don't you think this I comes can't. up so much in like yes. general conflict and education in the, in, in like yeah, and yeah. I say education. You go. Why like, am I? Why are we all doing this? Why are we doing just this? put it in the bin? Yeah. yeah. Why? Yeah, there. Are, I definitely agree. There are a lot of. Um, but that is my natural inclination anyway. Like I said, to we're the extent we're antagonistic where, people. To like, the extent where, or just like, because it's not lazy, because that would be talking in a bad way about myself. That because I, I it isn't lazy. Yeah, yeah, it's no, just it's a kind it's of. Not. I do feel like, probably both you and I have a sort of healthy idea of like the things that are necessary or unnecessary. For example, in, in running a childcare centre, our center. idea of what's necessary and unnecessary is right. Correct. Yes. Yes. Uh, no, I just sort of mean in terms of like, why, you know, why would you instigate a thing or a process or a routine or an expectation that actually is unnecessary? I don't think we've yeah. got very many things like washing a teapot that are, well, I'm just doing it because it's the right thing to do and it's good learning for the thing. And actually, no, um, I almost think I am more the other way where the wheels will just come off. <laughs> You're not even washing the teapot before you use it. You're just going for it. No. No, I'm doing. But I do. I just think that is really interesting to like to have a check in when you're in those moments of like this system isn't working. Yeah. And so for for, for a lot of forest school leaders, that is like the oh, the big one. The big like low hanging fruit here is like it's just not working. Doing a circle where we all yeah. go around one at a time and say that thing. And like that's the. That, that feeling of like well it's the right thing to do mm. that's the right thing to do everybody gets a say and that's the right you know like can I take that one step further and go forest school in general it's not the right thing no <laughs> the one where I'm kind of uh, you know those moments where you're like okay what is 
the, what is holding as many people's needs and mm-hmm. my own needs with as much care as possible and I genuinely don't know is when for example going to, with the circle so if we say you don't have to come to the circle but we'd love to invite you to the circle and mm-hmm. if you need to be sitting in a hammock just outside the circle so you can still hear and all these accommodations and yada yada or if you need me to if you're actually going to go on the obstacle course right now and you need me to go over and tell you what was discussed at the circle if it was important then we're going to say that and la 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 but for, uh, an example like somebody comes to the circle and then they are really um, either not able to or not choosing to stop talking when other people are talking okay. so how do we respond to that in a way that holds everybody's needs with care and is doing the right thing by the lear- by all the learners because there are definitely things in this whole unschooling like you know respecting children mm. this is the yes. end of the spectrum yes you know then going on to permissive no boundaries actually you're doing those children a disservice because they have to be citizens of the world they have to be citizens in society in which they are growing up and that there are definitely some areas where children if you are just entirely letting them be free are going to do stuff that is going to annoy other people to or or be so um what was that word in uh, inconvenient mm-hmm. um, that it will do them a disservice when yes. they are adults that yeah, they yeah. won't be able to get what they need or make connections that they need because they are behaving in a way do you know what I'm trying to say yes and that is the worry isn't it with anything like that with unschooling it's like getting into the realms of permissiveness in terms of you are you are doing a disservice by not putting in scaffolding not supporting not guiding not pointing out something because you are the oh, adult well, i think there's a difference and... though isn't there between pointing out and enforcing and th- and that's maybe where in yes. that example yeah that would be in a really good example of like highlighting so you and i do this a lot already we'll mm. just go like we will model like mm. oh i don't i'm not feeling like i'm being Listen, not in a way of like that teachery like I don't feel I'm being listened to well it's but like, I statements rather than you statements isn't it it's yes. like I can't hear or I'm noticing that so and so can't be heard I rather than you are talking and you need to stop yeah. so it is yeah just pointing out and, and I guess continually doing that and it until a, a penny point drops of empathy. the yeah. point is not yeah. and it's that righteous thing again it's like the reason we're doing this is not because it's the right thing it's the good thing we're doing this because of the impact it has on other people yeah. so like we are you know even if we're not listening in air quotes we are being respectful and civil mm. while we're in this circle mm. because of the empathy yeah you know or the benefits that we know it has on that person um and that yeah i think that's super important um this is a creating a web of intergenerational trust oh lovely similar to you talking about going to family friends yeah. and things I'm near the end I promise yeah um, uh, listeners he isn't I can see like a whole rainbow no no I folded the book uh, in half a yeah. whole, ra- whole rainbow of post-it uh, notes <laughs> um, when trust gets broken you have trauma mm. maybe trust is a need to trust somebody and if it's reciprocated then they trust you too and it can blossom and then they say I think so um, and then this is this was the one that resonated with me it's interesting I think hierarchy is a replacement for trust if you have trust you don't need a hierarchy mm. but you can default to hierarchy 
even if you don't have trust yeah or even if you don't feel it mm-hmm. massive mm. kind of explains like that whole thing of like you know what we're saying about that system and teaching and being at the you know you know that thing of you defaulting to hierarchy is easier than building trust yeah in the same way that like behavior management is easier than behavior support yeah it's that thing isn't it i think yes and i'm thinking about learners who perhaps don't know you and i very well yet or the other adults who might be at a session who just go well they're the adult so they're in charge and Mm -hmm. that that has a kind of almost reassuring effect even if they don't trust you yet it's just like well they're older and so and then how you and I often challenge that nice comfortable hierarchy well they're the adult so even though I haven't got to know them enough to trust them I the hierarchy is this so this makes me know where I am and that you and I will like challenge that (laughs) and undercut it by when a younger person than us goes so what what's happening now we go don't know And to see the panic in their eyes and that's... Uh, oh, it's, it's normally it's, a back and forth because it's like, what, what do you want think? to make this thing? Yeah. Oh, okay, how are we going to make this thing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought yeah. you were going to give me the yeah. arts and crafts materials for this yeah. thing. And you're like, no, where are we going to get these logs from? Yeah. I don't know. You want to make it a log cabin? Let's yeah. go look for logs, I guess. Yeah. And it does make it not easier for that smaller younger person but it's but it's, it's like a it's, necessary it's, part of the journey it's stretching isn't it yeah. it's not letting people go it's yeah. like an elastic band of just being like yeah. just feel the edges yeah i'm still with you i'm not going i don't know yeah. go away go yeah. and go and do it yourself don't bother me it's like i'm here and we're gonna yeah. do it together but actually yeah. i'm gonna slightly challenge your assumption that there is a hierarchy here and mm-hmm. yeah yeah um there's a bit here talking about on being a trusted adult mm-hmm. and the roles and how you're building that up and it struck me as something that you and I have talked about before about like there's just something that it makes you go you watch someone with kids and you're like yep you've got it mm-hmm. there's no question that you cannot teach someone how to make kids trust them you can teach people how to be better listeners especially if that work starts with young adults but no you cannot teach someone to be relaxed and real with kids in the way that kids need this has to come from the person doing their own personal growth and unconsciously being at ease with kids. Mm. Okay, then a bit later on. When I enter a space, I take a moment to notice how a kid is seeing me and I try to discern what they're seeking. Mm. We definitely do this. Mm. My goal is to see myself through the eyes of the child or the group of children. Sometimes it's really important to take up space and be active in the, as the adult in the room. Other times, kid wants, kids want to know that they can fill that with what they're doing in order to trust the adult. They have to see the adult hold back, mm-hmm. see the adult hold back. Judging the difference in needs has to come from assumption that kids are wonderful and also with the humility to know that what an adult can offer will depend on the individual needs of young people in that unique situation. Mm. That is very interesting to me to put it fully into that like... Um, how are the children seeing you? Mm. Which I think is under-talked about, undervalued as a thing, you know, as a technique for like, if you want to be a more empathetic, you know, wonky forest school leader, get yourself in that mindset. Mm. What's that person seeing of you? Mm. Not, what you not what are you giving them? What are they seeing? Mm. Um, this is my, my favourite chapter so far. It's got loads and loads and loads of bits in it. Um, 
actually I did talk to you about it earlier and there is a chapter that I've slightly skipped over which is um, really interesting and it is about um, childhood as an experience being taken away from black children Mm -hmm. that they are adultified that they are described as um, women like women or men before that in the same way that like a 17 year old white female teenager Mm. can go out and drink and be offensive and do all these things and people attribute it up to like a learning process Um, but in exactly the same scenario a black teen is seen as like an out of control woman Mm. or a a man who is not doing whatever Um, it could be I think it should be its own podcast and actually I'd like I'd like to have someone with like more lived experience in that conversation because I I've only read this thing about it. Yeah, I did find it interesting that they were talking about the phrase "young adults" mm-hmm. first comes into use mm-hmm. after the emancipation of slaves right. as a way to differentiate young white children as better than young black children. What? That white children were described as young adults, right. and black children were described as black children. God. In that way of going, even amongst the children, mm. this group is better than this group. That's where mm. they see this phrase of young adults emerging, mm. which is just an interesting, like, yeah, yeah, thing. Anyway, mm. um, so touched on it. Mm. Uh, there's more there, but I'm not mm. the person to mm. do it. Um, there's a thing here, chapter Childing the World. Um, Virtually every young person in the world has experienced discrimination, exclusion, coercion, and violence for no other reason that they are child. Mm-hmm. They are a child. Uh, it is in childhood that we are taught to be ashamed of ourselves for being small, weak, uncoordinated, ignorant, and dependent on adults. Mm. Oh, lovely. Um, not lovely. Not lovely, but like, <laughs> like succinct, mm. you know, as a thing. Um, Okay. Uh, childhood is therefore the originary site, ground zero, of all systems of domination. The position where all forms of oppression are produced and reproduced. As psychiatrist Dr. Chester Pierce, who coined the term microaggressions and childism, observed, discrimination against children is the basic form of oppression in our society and underlies all alienation and violence, for it teaches everyone how to be an oppressor. And makes them focus up, focus on the exercise of raw power rather than on volatile, volatilational, volition, humaneness. The trauma of childhood is the organising structure of dehumanising discourse of both race, class, gender, and ability. All form of dominations are prefigured, both form and context, by the domination of the child. Mm. Big thing, just basically underpinning that, like, you know we think of children as lesser we display that they are lesser and that is like you know we're talking about formative experiences here they talk quite a lot in in this chapter about uh being a child is just another state of being a whole human one that we all go through but perhaps because we're not going back to it we see it differently Mm. we can discard it because we're done with it Mm which is very interesting um, and then I'm not going to read this quote but um, it's talking about class political economy and saying that in western culture children's labour is the first exploited labour mm-hmm. because it belongs to the family 
and more specifically it belongs to the father the, the land that children ploughed the children tilled mm. benefits mm. the family but predominantly the father mm. who can then as a chieftain or a mm. tribe leader or whatever can then have more children mm. there they my family does this for me mm. this then is in this thing the root of women being seen as the producers of labor mm. because they're not there to make to do the labor they are there to produce workers therefore they are ownership therefore they are mm. you know this stuff which is like woo okay oh god there's a thing in there i'm skimming through this because it's like big but like it's really interesting to think about you know mm. child labor belongs to a person um yeah uh um da, 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 da. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to touch on the bit that is about children coming into the world, agendered, mm-hmm. which is in there. It's yep. an interesting bit to touch on. Um, okay, disability. Mm-hmm. Uh, to address disability, we must understand that it is structured according to the degraded notion of childhood as a stage closer to the animal than human. Mm-hmm. So being a child is like being... Yeah. Um, we see this expressed in the way that intellectual or cognitive disability in quotes are indexed as alleged stages of childhood development not only is iq an age-based metric of intelligence but the terminology of cognitive disability i.e fool moron idiot imbecile are defined as reference to a child's progression through various intellectual benchmarks the moron is someone who is between the ages of 10 to 12 imbecile is someone who's uh, 4 to 10 Idiot is someone who's three or younger. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's quite interesting. So these are obviously mm, like historical. medically historical terms. Um, historically, these classifications have corresponded to distinct form of labour. Labour deemed suitable for children of different ages mm. then becomes, you know. The thing, um, likewise to be, I'm skipping ahead now, likewise to be physically disabled is to require assistance to move, walk, grasp or eat in the way that most assist an infant or a toddler in, de- in general disability is shorthand for dependence of the child and their ethical demand for care which we already view as a regrettable impingement on the yeah. exercise of adult freedom yeah yeah sorry oh it's big yeah it's big and i really i'm like ah! yeah you know um actually i'm gonna stop because that's such a big it's that thing um come on, I, t- I bet this is gonna be my tummy rumbling sorry about that um I just keep coming back to the thing that I read in um, Holding Space mm-hmm. that we podded about, about the, dif- the difference between sympathy and empathy. I think I said this earlier. And really challenging yourself in times where exactly that, that and you know, and, and disabled people will voice that they get a lot of that sympathy a lot of mm-hmm. the time. Oh, poor you you know why do you have to use that wheelchair and oh life must be so hard and that there is a big difference between that kind of sympathetic response to an empathetic response mm-hmm. and the empathetic response rather than going oh poor you will go god it would be really hard to get into this building if i was you so i'm going to actually change the access to this building mm. <laughs> and that you can apply that same like sympathy empathy thing to the way that we view children 
um, in terms of viewing them as, yeah, just like crap adults that can't do things <laughs> yeah. yet. Yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, well, poor you. You'll be able to do it one day rather than an empathetic response. And again, if we are having a sympathetic response to children, it's not necessarily our fault, like rather than just kind of beating ourselves up about it, it is the society that we live in a lot of the time. You know, and that whole like age-related expectations thing of like, well, you know, you're only here, but you're expected yeah. to go here. And rather than that, I don't know, it's just, it's massive, isn't it? It's massive, but I'm just definitely yeah. working on that at the moment in terms of my response to any human of any age, <laughs> of anyone I come across is like, is my response here verging on the sympathetic and therefore completely unhelpful, mm-hmm. quite disrespectful, and usually there for some kind of pre-programmed bias. I mean, not pre-programmed in terms of I was born with it, but society has. Culturally programmed, yeah. Yeah. yeah or making assumptions um, if it's not a bias and I'm really working on that at the moment yeah yeah which goes back to that thing of that the book said and that you said to me the other day in terms of like me coming across adults where you're like oh, actually you're doing some work like you're doing some work on yourself and you're examining yeah. your responses as opposed to people who are just like yeah moving through life just doing the same things they've always well, done and, yeah 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 I think there's something Again, you're talking about like cultural programming and like particularly like teaching cultural programming that like I'm doing the work on right now, which is like I'm so much better than I was when I was in the teaching system, but I still don't think I've completely pulled off all those things of like um, a child of X years not behaving in a way or achieving things that I think are capable of an X way mm. in in my head putting them because it's like a shorthand to go they're eight but they're working at about a five-year-old's oh, yeah. level yeah or like they're like because they're just they're eight mm. their age has nothing to do with it this is a way of being eight and like oh they're they're seven but they're working you know they read like a nine-year-old or they're yeah like, a, like as if just, that's a great thing as well yeah just that age being age age-related ability being better like yeah. And if you, I mean, it's so hard to get really away hard. from. That's why I'm saying I haven't got so rid of it. Hard. I'm just like, I've seen it now, and that's the first bit, isn't it? It's like seeing yeah. it and then going, okay, now I've got to reprogram my own mind to be going. They're being seven in the way that they're being seven. They're being four in the way that they're being four. Some stuff moves in ebbs and flows, and some stuff that you know they're working on this. They're working on this. Or even they, they're not even. It's almost like. They're just being a human in the way that they're being a human right now. And you know those moments before school where you're completely in flow mm. and those thoughts aren't even occurring to you. You're not kind of going, oh, actually, hang on a minute, I shouldn't say that because they're only four or I should be really stretching them because they're 12 now or that you're completely in flow and you're in the moment with that other human. Yeah. And those thoughts aren't even occurring to you. And obviously, like, I think that's, that's the ideal. Yeah. And it's really hard to be in that state all the time. And that's when you're not in a position of, like, if we go right back to, like, what are those, like, adult-child relationships if they're not power and control? Mm. Because when you're in that mindset of, like, oh, they should be doing more than this, they should be doing less, you know, they're doing really well, you're looking at it as, you're already in that mindset of, like, I should help them do this, I should, 
I'm I should. Better than them. I'm better than them, and I have control over the the brakes and the the gas here, mm. and I can do different things rather than just going like, oh, okay, you're like that. in the same way that you know, adult friends that I have, I don't, yeah. I don't have that same mindset of going like, well. No, I do. I do. I do. <laughs> I do sometimes go. Yeah, but you're five years older than me, and like I've like achieved this and this, or like, oh, you're. I don't know. It's different, isn't it? Or like, but I wish I didn't. Mm. I don't like myself when mm. I make those comparisons. But that is probably because I've come through that school system where yeah. I've gone. You are three years older than me, mm. so therefore, as an adult, you should always be three years ahead of me. Yeah. You should always. And you're ten, you know, you're ten years older than me, and you're <laughs> you don't wash the kettles. So like, but do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. the more of those things you can nice highlight and go, oh, got to peel that off. Got to do some work there. And mm. um, I really like this book. Mm-hmm. I've got like twenty pages left. And mm-hmm. um, I think it is probably only going to be super impactful for people who are running learning communities and who really know that they are running a learning community. Mm -hmm. I think if you are in a position of running and delivering forest school, you know, forest school, forest school, we do fire lighting and we do this and it's six weeks blocks or 12 week blocks and then I don't know that all of this is gonna land and I don't know that it's worth your time. Mm But I think if you are in a men- if you consider yourself a mentor mm-hmm. or um, a coach or a community leader, um, then I think this is a book mm. for you. Yeah. And it's quite nice to be able to like because they're quite short, you know, they're yeah between five and ten pages each. Yeah. You could give them as um, not handouts but you know you could say in a particular scenario that this is one super relevant I'm going to give that to my mm. head of department or I'm going to give this to whatever else yeah. um, I've enjoyed it and I actually can I give you the book to read sure follow? I'd love to yes yeah right. brilliant start doing my voice is going yeah going. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye <laughs>